After being cooped up for the last few months, I am sure that you are all itching to travel again, just like me. We actually just took off on our first family road trip this last week, and it was only two hours away, but it felt oh so good. Before you start up your summer travels again, be sure to grab some new bags from Walker Family Goods. They are functional, machine washable, and we have enough color so each member of your family can have their own bag to stay organized. This podcast and basically every podcast from here on out will be sponsored by Walker Family Goods. Why? Well, since I own the company, I don't have to pay myself for sponsoring it. And also, who doesn't love a good discount? So be sure to use Put It On My Tab 10 for 10% off your entire purchase. You can check out those bags at www.walkergoods.com. Be sure to buckle up, travel safe, and make some great memories. Today on Put It On My Tab, I am sitting down with the beautiful Ruthie Ridley. No introduction is going to give this woman justice. You see, because she is a woman that wears a lot of hats and has a lot going on and still does it with style and grace and uh, she is amazing. She is a wife to her husband, Ben, and they've been married for 12 years. Together, they have three incredible children. Ava, Savannah, and Judah. Ruthie is a registered nurse and works 40 hours a week, in addition to co-hosting her podcast, My Girl Podcast, alongside her friend Fina, and she is also a fashion blogger. Altogether, Ruthie is a stylish five-foot-one ball of energy and an advocate of joy. So, growing up, I was always a huge journal writer. One, because I loved looking back on past journals and learning from my own experiences. And two, because I wanted to document these places and times for my future children to read about. I always felt like reading a personal account would give them some sort of a perspective on the past. I conveyed this idea to Ruthie because I wanted her words to be a part of our children's future. Words that they can learn from and live by. You see, because Ruthie is a black woman, married to a white police officer. She has a perspective and a narrative that not a lot of people have. We discuss humanity and how to teach our children to see color and appreciate color. We talk about reformation of law enforcement and her fight for justice, but also her fight for pro-law enforcement. Before we dove into our conversation, Ruthie and I were talking about praying for peace. So if nothing else, I hope that after listening to this podcast, you will feel just that. Peace. Because Miss Ruthie Ridley is a shining example of it. Life is a series of events being put on our tab one at a time. Essentially like songs on a playlist. Every person deserves their own song. So throughout the series of this podcast, each week I will introduce my guest in the song that will be associated with that specific interview. It may be based off of melody or lyrics or a little bit of both. Today we are adding Shower the People by James Taylor to our playlist. Ruthie is showering all of the people with love, and things are going to work out fine if you only will. Shower the people you love with love and show them the way you feel. (laughs) 
I'm so grateful that you're taking this time because I know you are a extremely busy woman. Every single time I've gotten onto Instagram, you are doing a live with someone else <laughs> and I just sit there in awe with how you carry yourself. Aww. You really are um, a beautiful human being. Oh my gosh, stop. I know who you are, <laughs> but but there's a lot of people out there who don't know you or your story. Um, so tell me, who are you, Ruthie? My name is Ruthie Ridley. No. <laughs> Ruthie, I live in Northern California. We absolutely love it here. We moved out here in 2013. Kind of one of those brave moves where it's like, you know what? You're young. The kids were under four, four and under. Um, and we just thought to ourselves, why not now? We had friends out here. We had um, heard about a church plant from Bethel, Jesus Culture, that was going to be happening. I lead worship and sing. So Ben and I were like, let's just go help be a part of the, the church plant. Yeah. So we've been here since 2013. I'm a nurse. Um, my kids are um, 11, 9, and 8. They're 15 and 17 months apart. My husband has been with the Sacramento Police Department since 2018. Um, and so it's been a wild, wild ride. Um, what else can I tell you? I have a dog and a cat. Um, yeah, we kind of live in the woods in Northern California, closer to Lake Tahoe. And so it's just, I'm, I'm just in heaven. I'm an Enneagram seven. And so we're adventurous. We like the outdoors. We like to potty. So I'm happy. See, and maybe that's why I knew that I could be fast friends with you because I'm married to a seven. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Oh my gosh. He was, he was a flaming seven. Um, what's your husband? He's a one. He's a one. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that many ones. It's like one nine or nine one. We're still really trying to figure out, like <laughs> nail it, but he's not in the Enneagram. So he's not like willing to yeah. dig with me. Yeah. 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 Have you ever listened to, um, the podcasts and then also the songs from sleeping at last? No. <gasps> Oh my gosh, Ruthie. Okay. When we're off of this, you have to go look up sleeping at last on Spotify or Apple iTunes, whatever. Um, but they have, there's an Enneagram album and he wrote a song for each Enneagram number and the melody and the words and everything. You're going to ball because this song is going to be you. This is crazy. I've always since I got into it, which literally I was not into the hype, it was making me crazy how much people were talking about it two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I decided I was not going to be one of those people. <laughs> I just didn't like it. And so just recently I got into it and I, I think my biggest thing is I'm thinking to myself, how could someone nail basically all of humanity down to nine personality types, obviously with wings, but I yeah. just, I'm so fascinated by it. And the dynamics between the different numbers and all of it, it's, yeah, it's pretty wild. It's very wild. Lauren and I have been married for, gosh, um, not, uh, nine and a half years. And he felt like this last year we did the tests and we listened to the songs. And the day that my song came out, because I'm a number eight, and the day my song came yeah, out, updates. we get along really well. Do you? Cause I feel like every time I say I'm an eight, everyone goes, Oh, I know eights <laughs> though, that 
we, it's like, we work really well together because we can be super passionate about things and vocal in in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, when the song came out for my number, Lauren woke me up and he came and put headphones on my head and he had tears coming down his face. And he was like, I feel like the first time in my whole life that I really understand you now. That is, And it was like from a song. That's insane. So I, yeah, I'm going to send, I'll send you a link for it when we're done. Oh yes. I'd love that. Yeah. Um, okay. So I just wanted to talk to you one, because I do feel like just seeing you through the small lens of social media, because that's, it's a very small facet of our lives. Like you can't know everyone through what you see in a couple squares on their page. No. no, but I feel like the times that I have seen you, um, I just feel like you, you're just an advocate of joy in the way that you carry yourself in the way that you speak. Um, and I just, I wanted to hear your voice <laughs> and maybe it was for selfish reasons. Um, because I feel like I have been in such a dark place right now. Right. And I'm like, if there's anyone that I feel like I could sit down and talk to right now, mm-hmm. it would be Ruthie. Oh my gosh. You're going to, I'm trying not to cry. I've cried so much this week. You're killing me, baby. <laughs> Stop. Um, but no, Lauren, like I said earlier, Lauren took the kids and this is the first time I've been by myself. And I was like literally on the floor, like bawling and praying, like, just like, please help me right now. Yes. You know? And I think that in these times, that's the only thing you can do. And so it's hard for me to, to see some of my friends and people that don't, don't necessarily have faith in their life or a form of spirituality in general. Right. Um, and it's like, how can you share that with them? And, and then I see you and I'm like, people who don't even believe in God can still see this woman and recognize that she carries joy in her soul. Like they can see goodness from you. Right. Yeah, no. And that, that has always been kind of my mission. I wanted when people came to my space that they, that, that, that joy was tangible the peace was tangible and just the ability to kind of see more in life, to dream, just to, you know, cause my pictures are more, I try to be more artsy with them. I can't really do the mirror selfie thing that a lot of, you know, bloggers do, which works for them. Because for me, that kind of takes the art fun out, out of it. it. I yep. want to take a beautiful picture and that be the starting point. And then from there, I want to tell a story. So I get joy in beautiful imagery. And then from there being able to get your attention with a beautiful picture, whatever, maybe it's just my dress or it's my glasses or it's my earrings, something that draws you to pay attention. And then I want to speak to you in a caption and I want you to leave my space inspired. That is my biggest desire in doing this is to be inspired. I love that because I feel like so many people, they, they see forms of social media and they, and they see these pictures and they walk away feeling less about themselves Yes, because they're like, I can't be as pretty as her. I can't have as great of clothes as her. And so I feel like what you're doing in your mission through your words is truly what changes people. Wow. I hope it does. I mean, you know, over the past 10 days or so, my account has grown 
almost 20 something thousand. We don't know what's going on. It's just been a very strange experience out of a bad situation. For some reason, people have found, uh, I don't want to say comfort, but they've found a little bit of hope maybe or a positive voice, a different angle because my husband is in law enforcement. I'm a woman of color and he's white. I'm married to a beautiful white man from England. And so, um, I haven't changed anything about what I've done, but I've always, I feel like God is like, okay, now more people can see you, see yeah. me in you. And so I, that makes me happy. Yeah. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. And because in my opinion, not all black people have the same narrative and right. or they don't have, they don't share that same voice, just like every white person doesn't have the same narrative and therefore we don't share the same voice. Right. And so I wanted to hear Ruthie's voice because there's no two people, regardless of your race, gender, color that share the same story. No, no. And so I think sometimes it's really easy to sit back and be like, all of them think the same, regardless of who all of them are, whether they're all Christians or whether they're all white people we all get lumped into these equations. And, um, and so I was more concerned about not necessarily hearing the narrative of all of the people of color. Like I want, I want to hear your story. Thank you. So, yeah, this has been kind of a theme I've done. uh, I've had a few conversations with people. And like you said, I think people assume that your story is the same as anyone else's. And to be honest, I was raised in a predominantly white neighborhood. I went to white schools up until high school. And it was very interesting because when I went to high school, my dad strategically had me go to an inner city. He felt that I was pretty sheltered. He felt that I needed to be exposed to more culture. I was with only white people. And he's like, you know, it's great, but I think you need to be around some people of color. And it was was only then that I actually felt like I didn't fit in you're too white, you talk white, you know, there's almost like a racism within racism, if that makes any sense, where black people could, you know, somehow they just don't really relate to you and you don't feel very much accepted. But, you know, after a while, I just kind of accepted it and I, it became just a big fun joke and we, I had a good time in high school and kind of accepted, you know, I'm different. I'll never be like these girls, you know, they're very tough. Um, Mm -hmm. They have a story themselves and they dress like so good. Um, I couldn't afford to do half of the things they did. Their hair was always done to the nines. And it was just things that, not that my parents didn't value, they just couldn't, you know, really afford for me to get my hair done, you know, to the nines and then my nails done on top of that. So my job at Dunkin' Donuts didn't cover all of it. So I just did the best I could, you know? Yeah. Um, and But I never felt like when I was growing up that I experienced any form of racism at all or that I was different at all. I, I, I'm learning now through this situation with George Floyd and many others, just this movement that's happened over the past 12 days or so, that it's not okay to say, I guess, that, you know, you don't see color because God made us all different. So we should see color. But I just was one of those people who was like, I don't really see color. I just think everybody looks exactly not the same, but I'm just not focused on it. Yeah. 
anyways, um, you know, fast forward to now, I have mixed kids. Um, I my first experience really with racism was my um, my father in law when he found out Ben was going to propose to me. He said that reminds me of like a barbaric time. It just isn't right. Like he just was not for it. Now, granted, we're close now. He takes care of my kids. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. But he was just not. So that was my very first experience, actually, with someone not really accepting me based on my freaking skin color. I thought to myself, are you kidding me? Yeah. Get to know me. Like, I mean, this is unbelievable. And my husband was like, you know what, please, I'm going to marry you. And then his mom was like, you know what, this is just the icing on the cake for me. I'm leaving this man. The same year that Ben and I got engaged, his mom got a divorce from his dad and moved in with me. So, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my first experience with racism. And I don't think I experienced any after that. Um, and then I wasn't really aware of how big the divide was until Ben got into law enforcement. Yeah. And he would literally have to tell women the men could care less in these areas that he worked, but he would literally have to say, I hear you to these women of colors. I, a color, I love how loud you are. I love how expressive you are and how passionate you are about this situation. I'm listening. And they would be like, you know, F you, you don't know, you know, and he says, no, I'm telling you, I I'm hearing you. And he would say, you know what, guess what? I'm married to a black woman. They say, Oh, you know just they would just all fall on the floor and just they would be dead they were no you did it oh my gosh you got yourself a black girl you know just starting to play him and he just they would laugh and it just kind of broke down barriers and walls and and for him to say trust me my wife is crazy I have to you know I know how to deal with you guys and I know how to listen you know so, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my story. And now I've got kids who are first generation American. They were born in this country. I was born in Jamaica. Ben was born in England. And, you know, just over a couple days of conversation, we've asked them, you know, what does this all mean to you? When yeah. you hear the word racism, what is your baseline for that? And Judah, my youngest, who's eight, says, I think it's when a white person doesn't like a black person. And I said, what, what do you mean? He says, I just, I think it's when they don't accept them. I heard about, you know, he heard about the police officer, yeah. no gory details, but that's how he took it. But he says, but honestly, mom, I don't, I don't think it's right. I think God loves everyone just the way they are. I mean, I'm white and black, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so they're, in, you know, just listening to their understanding of what's going on has been in- interesting too, as well. It's hard. Cause when you're saying that you grew up not seeing color, how do you go from making that transition to not seeing color to seeing color and teaching your children in a way that doesn't create more of a racial divide? Oh, I know. You, you you mean just kind of breaking down to them what's that there is color? Yeah, because I feel like because we travel so often, my children associate with 
every kind of people. But now in learning and listening and researching more throughout the past 12 days and being told that I'm not being anti-racist enough, I'm like, so how do you go about as a mom trying to teach your children to love everyone, but try not to embed into them that we're all different? Because yeah, I think it's one loving one another the same, you right. know. It, it has turned into one of those things where you know we say everyone is so different. Just like look at your mom, look at your dad. Yeah, you know, it's two different. I mean, stark different colors, and you know, mom is really dark, and dad is really fair. And just realizing that everybody, God created everyone equal, and kind of just kind of pushing that that fact. The hard part about all of this is that we actually have to explain to our children, almost like when you're teaching them about the beginning and about Genesis and how there was that fall of man, just teaching them that this world is not perfect. And although we love everyone, regardless of what the, the way they look, there are people out there that don't, and it's wrong. And, you know, they cried about that. They, my daughter in particular was just very, very, you, you almost don't want to rip that innocence away. Yeah. Yeah. Because in their eyes, they're like, wait, what? Why would someone seriously do that? I mean, it's like you're ripping away an innocence and a little too soon almost, you know, yeah. through this experience, you're kind of having to expose stuff that you don't really, A, want to believe exists. And B, want them to know about at eight, nine, and 11. Yeah. Because they don't see that. Their friends are Indian, white, and black, and mixed. And so they have never had, never thought twice about anything. So it's been a hard week in the sense that one, I've had to have these conversations with Ben while he, without Ben, and while he's at work because he's in law enforcement and we've had such unrest in the country, they've had to be on mandatory overtime and um, we haven't seen him in going on like 11 or 12 days. So, but they, they hear things. They see me having these live conversations Yeah, and they want to know what is going on. Why? Is daddy working two weeks in a row? We literally haven't seen him. Why is he coming home? five hours late. And so there's so much, you know, things like kind of out of whack in our life that you kind of, you're forced to have these conversations that you're not really ready to. Yeah. It's tricky because like you said, it's like you're ripping away a part of their innocence. That's what I, that was probably the most hurtful thing for me this week is because that's what I felt like I was doing. Yeah. Was it peer pressure? Was it doing what was right? I still don't know. I mean, I know they say it starts in the home, but when you think that you are doing things fine, you're not teaching them racism. Yeah. It's like, why do I even have to say anything? But at the same time, someone pointed out to me, you're raising a black boy. So that is a fact of the matter. He is half black and people of color by history have been treated differently. And so 
he needs to be, you know, made aware of what goes on in this country, but it just, you hope that we aren't marching for these things when he's older, when they're older, that we, we have really crossed this bridge. And, and it's just been an eye-opening week for me in that sense that, gosh, we are still fighting for the same things. It looks different, but it's, there's still issues. Yeah. I feel like genuinely kids come good and, and they don't see color and they don't see hate. And, but somewhere along the road that becomes part of an adult. And it's like, and so it does, it starts within the home. It's just unfortunate that you have to start talking about it at such a young age and making them aware of those things. Right. And it's one of those things that it was such a big deal. I think it was a combination of, you know, Ahmad was fully innocent and, you know, everything with George and then all the protesting, you know, it got to a point where you have to talk about it. It's like all yeah. over. It's, it's, it is what it is. And it's almost like any other thing that you would discuss with your child that is not okay. You just, it's almost like the sex talk, right? You're like, how yeah. long do you have to wait? Can we wait a long time? I don't want to talk about this. Yeah. Same thing. Well, it's like I just the other day, um, gosh, it was yesterday my son Arrow, he is um, six and a half years old and he has spina bifida. So he doesn't walk unassisted. He has a walker. Yep. Um, and Louie, his little sister who just turned four, they were in the kitchen and she kept trying to steal this chair away from him that he was like working really hard at pushing into the kitchen. And she like jumped up on the chair and ahead of him. And she was like, you're always going to be my baby brother. Cause you can't walk. And I like lost it. And I like brought them both down on the ground and I had to come to Jesus talk with them. And I was like, and it was the first time I had to do that. Yep. It was the first time that I had to have this really difficult conversation with them about how, Hey, you were born different. We're all born different, right. but it's not okay to talk to, to your it. brother that way. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, and then as I'm having this conversation, I'm like, this is exactly what's going on in the world right now. Absolutely. Like he didn't have a choice whether to be born this way or not. No, he didn't. No. He did not. Just like each one of us is born completely different, but we're all humans. Right. We're all human. And so even as like a four and six year old and at the end of it, they were hugging and they were hugging me and they were hugging each other and they were crying and telling each other they were sorry. And it just seems like so obvious on a small scale that if all of us could sit down and talk with one another and hug one another. What's been cool throughout all this over the past few weeks is just seeing everyone to come together in different ways. Yes, on social media, but also in the priest, in the peaceful marching and the peaceful protest. Oh, yeah. It's been absolutely beautiful. And sometimes those get overshadowed. They do. You know, which is really unfortunate because there's beautiful demonstrations. Just in Boise the other night, that's where we live now. And there was a peaceful uh, vigil downtown at the Capitol and thousands of people came out. I and- saw that. I posted it. It was stunning. Oh, you did? Yes, yeah, yeah. stunning. It was just peaceful and there was prayer and there was silence. And then in Encinitas, where I, where we lived for nine years, they did a paddle out um, for unity and solidarity. And then they have like this big, I don't know if you saw it, but it was a drone shot of all the surfboards on the beach that said unity. No, I didn't. 
Yeah, it's beautiful. There's um, if you go to Surfer Magazine's Instagram, um, uh-huh. you'll see the image of it. But it's absolutely beautiful, and um, but sometimes it's hard to see those things, and it's hard to find the light, um, in the midst of all the darkness. And that's the hard part. But I feel like, like you said, it does get overshadowed. But when we do see those beautiful things like the demonstration that happened in in Boise, you just, it gives you a lot of hope and it shows you people coming together saying, I don't, I will never understand, or we never came from the same background, but I still stand with you. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much power in that. Do you feel like throughout the past one, two weeks, we've had this influx of followers and do you feel like you have found a new voice? I don't know if it's a new voice. I think it's the voice I've always had. I've just never had to speak up. Yeah. I've never had to say what I thought about these things. So now I do. And my angle, like I had said before, is a little different because I am pro-law enforcement, but I'm also pro-justice. And Uh kind of showing people you can be both has been very difficult um, because, you know, there are a few men and women who have tarnished the badge and then in many ways ruined it for the um, amazing 800,000 other law enforcement cops, whatever you want to call it, they've ruined it for them. And so me trying to share that message has just kind of been my mission during this time will always be my mission. I'm married to an incredible man who decided to take this on a long time ago, but the timing was never right. It was right after Sandy Hook happened in Connecticut and we lost 26 babies to a psycho. And, you know, Ben was like, if I could have just, you know, been, I don't know, one extra set of hands. I don't know. It just, to him, he's like, I just want to protect the innocent, you know? Yeah. Could we have done anything else different about Sandy Hook? Nobody knew that guy was going to go in there with a gun, you know, but the, it, it just kind of triggered something. It woke something up in him to get into law enforcement, to be a protector, to be there for people when they were in trouble. I, I don't know if I found a new voice. I think I've always had it. I just, there was a, never a reason to say anything until now. Do you find that it's overwhelming speaking up now or is it almost like like this new fire has been sparked in you. Yeah. I mean, I have absolutely nothing to lose. I mean, why, why would I not speak my truth in the sense that I support my husband 1050% and not only that, but I know, I mean, we lost an officer who was 26 years old fighting for a woman who was being beat up by her husband and the guy shot her. You know, I've seen people lose their lives for other people in in this profession. In the line of duty. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, I have nothing to lose. If you don't like it, you don't really have to listen to me. You know what I mean? But you need to, in this whole thing, bring it back to the heart. Forget about the movements and the programs and stuff like this. This is all a humanity issue. These are human beings making terrible decisions and choices. That's what is happening. And it's also a form, there's ignorance, there's, you know, an unawareness. Yeah. I tell people every single day, yep, I'm learning too. I'm learning too. 
just because I'm a woman of color doesn't mean I have been aware of how bad or how good things have been. Yeah. In a sense, I've had a privilege too. So it's like, it's been a learning experience for, for, for everyone. I definitely have been, definitely have been learning. Um, do you feel like you've received because you are an advocate for both people of color and the law enforcement pro law enforcement? Have you received backlash for, for that? No, it's amazing. I, I don't that know if amazing. they're afraid I'm going to flip my lid because I'm actually <laughs> married to someone and I'm not just saying it. Well, I think that's why people like are gravitating towards you is because you're living proof of both things that people are fighting for. Yeah. Yeah. You no, know? we're fighting. I want the same thing you want. You know, um, do I think there needs to be changes in law enforcement? 1000%. Yes. People, men and women see the unthinkable on a daily basis. What my husband tells me, first of all, he is very careful with what he tells me. But what I do know is you do not want to be in these situations. And so do I think they need regular mental health checks? Absolutely. I think they need counseling. I think that their yeah. job is, can be extremely traumatic. I think even just this past 12 days was traumatizing. They were getting bottles of urine thrown at them. They were getting bricks thrown at their heads. They were being told by thousands of people every day that they were the scum of the earth. You mean to tell me that's not going to affect you? I can't, I can't imagine. Like absolutely can't imagine. No. And so most of them have been able to handle themselves and carry themselves well, but you know, and then they go into talking about defunding the police, which is something I've had to speak on as well. Yeah. I get direct messages all day long wanting to know my thoughts on it. And I, I say exactly what I just said to you. There needs to be reform. There needs to be change. You know, when people like this gentleman who killed George Floyd get away with not one or two or three or four or five accounts of being of misconduct or you know you know excessive use of force but 14 and he's not fired yeah there's a major issue with the system but in order to reform the law enforcement is the way to go about that by defunding them they need more funds 100% need more money you know, we laugh and we say, okay, you know, we would love to see what it's like if you didn't have police for even just a day. Right? There's funny memes going on. They're calling in, you know, to dispatch. And they said, you know, my house is being broken into. And dispatch says, yes, I'm sending my prayers. I mean, can we be honest here? You don't want this. You do not want this. So it's like, wake up and smell the coffee. Seriously, you have no idea. But then who knows? It's a scary time, you know, but at the same time, we've seen a lot right now. We cannot keep our hope in these structures and these systems. That's what Ben and I keep saying. You know what? Yep. Keep telling me all these horrific things like defunding the police. It's literally a nightmare. It directly affects me. Yeah. God is still bigger than that to us. So that's what we're holding on to when he shares with you some of the things that he's been going through, how, 
because I feel as a wife, it almost hurts more when you hear that your spouse is going through things and you can't fix it as yeah. a woman and as a wife. How, how does this make you feel? Oh, I just feel so helpless because <laughs> if Ben is struggling, then the world's ending. That's how it goes. I'm, only, I'm the only one who can struggle in my head. You know, it's like you can't have a bad day. So when he's struggling, it's just, it's not good. It means it's heavy. You know, it's heavy. That's such um, a number seven thing. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't help you. Because <laughs> that's my husband too. He's like, yeah. oh, wait, if you're falling, like, I can't. I just can't deal with this right now. <laughs> yeah, no, it just doesn't. That's not how we do it. So, <laughs> no, no, no. Come on, let's get it together. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's not good. I don't know how to deal with that, but, um, we laugh a lot. We have a lot of fun, but it's what he sees on a daily basis. is frightening. What do you think is the answer? Um, like increased funding, increased funding, more, more field training, more it's not even analysts. I think, like I said, it's the mental wear and tear over time. Yeah. Unfortunately, you are dealing with very difficult people who lie, they steal, they try to deceive you. Um, you become jaded, really. Yeah. Yeah. And desensitized because think about it. The police only get involved when there's a problem, right? Usually. Yeah. You're not dealing with innocent people. You're not dealing with someone who didn't do something wrong. And so I think more psychological care, more check-ins, even if it's six every six months or even sooner, you know, what, what has happened is people have been allowed to stay in the department when they're clearly mentally unwell. Yeah. Not suitable for it. No. And not even, even suitable to take care of themselves, let alone protect the people that they are in charge right. of protecting. They have to do every six months, like even as a nurse, you have to do like retraining. Yeah. If they could add in every six months for a week, you literally have to go see a shrink and literally unload. Yeah. And you're pulled from the streets, you're pulled from the day to day. And you're asked hard questions and you're, I think that is what would be um, a, a good implementation because then you would really be able to see where people are at and if they're really fit to be in the job. Yeah. But you need, fin you need funding for that, right? You need a full-time, you know, psychologist, psychiatrist who can meet with people periodically because we're short all the time. We need people on the street. You know, so even when Ben's doing his like retraining, you know, his car is short, you know, his beat is short because yeah. he retraining. I feel like those psychiatrists would then need a psychiatrist. Absolutely. <laughs> I feel like, goodness gracious, the things that you would have to hear and go through and it's a job that I respect, but one that I would never want. No, no. And I, I think that's what, you know, that's a good point. I think it's really easy for people to throw out their opinions about law enforcement in general based on one or two bad eggs, yeah. but they don't know how hard this job is. No clue no. at all. No. What they're seeing. 
And I think that's just the the day and age that we live in. People are just so quick to throw out their opinions on everything and everyone. 100%. And assume that you know the shoes that one another walk in because you see a couple posts or videos of somebody online. Like, no. Yeah. What are some healthy counterbalance activities that you do together on your own? He gets three days off a week. And during those days, he's, you know, one day I would say is like really catching up on rest. And then he hits the gym with buddies. It's, it's, it's part of it is, I think that's therapeutic for him is being around people that are not in the job. Yeah. That are really excited to hear about his job that he can unload stories to and kind of like talk about things. And then people are like, and then it makes him feel less crazy. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Super therapeutic. People. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of his therapy is talking to people that aren't in the job, but love him and want to know what he's doing. And what do you do? What have you been doing, Ruthie? Because <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine that um, you haven't felt a little bit of a burden on your shoulders the past couple weeks. Yeah. You know, for me, the best way for me to cope is to stay extremely busy. And so thank God I have been bit busy. That's a, th- a seven thing too. You don't really want to feel your emotions. So I don't know what I feel right now. <laughs> oh, I don't I know. know. No, I don't. I'm, I'm, you know, and I think that's kind of like good for in the sense that what am I going to do? I got to take care of these kids. I got to work my job. I'm a nurse. I've got a, a blog. I got to keep moving, you know? So, so are you still a practicing nurse? Yeah. I work full time, oh you know, my. 40 hours a week. <gasps> I don't know how long that's going to last because it's becoming very, very difficult. So not only have you been a nurse during the coronavirus, quarantine, all of this nonsense, your husband has been a police officer during this movement right now. Yep. Ah. Mm -hmm. How are you guys functioning? Cause I'm we just sitting on my couch watching all of it and I can barely function and I'm not even on the forefront of anything. I know. Yeah. How do you manage to do all of this and wear all of these hats and still make sure that you're being a good mom? I don't know. I'm just doing the best I can. I mean, we, we really value our family time. So even if the day is crazy at the nighttime, we have our time together and do our things, you know, our shows or yeah. meals, we do meals together. And so that's when we get to really connect and talk about stuff. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like I, um, when I'm stressed, I take it out on my kids, which is so unfortunate cause they don't deserve that. Mm. You know, me too. Trust me. And so then not only do you feel guilty about like, just, not doing enough in the world and not being enough, then you're like, well, and I've been neglecting my children and my spouse and it's just, yeah. No, you know what? You're doing the best you can. And then, you know, you hear stories, you know, that Ben deals with and you realize it could be a lot worse. Yeah. That's, I was having that discussion with a friend the other day because um, I had probably like, I don't know. I would say like 10 people, um, attack my personal Instagram. Um, just because 
I wasn't being anti-racist enough. I wasn't doing the reposts or the, um, the black box and solidarity and these things that I didn't feel like were genuine to me. Right. Like in my, in my heart, I didn't want to be, um, it's not bullied, but I didn't want to do something out of fear. Right. And not feel it in my heart. And so the approach that I, but I wanted to make a stand because this wasn't a political issue for me. I don't do politics online. It's just not my thing. Like I'm not a politician. If you want to come to my Instagram page and see pictures of me and my cute kids, that's what you're going to get. Absolutely. And so, um, and I didn't want to stray from that, but I also felt like this wasn't a political issue. This was a humanity issue. This Mm -hmm. was humans needing to be kind to humans. And so the approach that I wanted to take was as a mother, like, how do I want to be raising my children? And And so it was like a lot of blocking and a lot of, I made my Instagram private because I gain no monetary value out of it. I'm not an influencer. I don't get paid for anything. I have zero sponsorships. So it was like, at at what point am I going to put myself out there and share my life with people only to have them attack the only thing that I care about? (laughs) Like, Like, seriously. Like my religion and my children were all being attacked. And it was like, you know how to politically approach different humans and what is okay and not okay to say, but then you're addressing my kid as disabled. Like to me, that's extremely offensive. A hundred percent. Because I stood up for what I believe in. Those judgments. I just... That was one of, I think the second thing I put up online was I said, Hey guys, just like, just like one second. I read that. I read that today, right before I got on my chat with you. And that's why I started bawling. Cause I was just like, how are people so blind? You do not know my heart. You just don't No. You don't know how I'm processing just because I'm not out loud on social media. You have no idea. Like a hundred percent, no clue. But it's, it's so hard because I know that all of these things could be solved. Like Lauren started, he took my phone away from me and he was like, hey, for the next 48 hours, you're not allowed to look at it. Like that's wow. it. And he was um, writing people back on his Instagram and giving his phone number out and talking to them on the phone. That and there was only probably like two out of the 10 that took him up on the offer to talk on the phone. And, uh, one hung up on him and the other, they became friends at the end of it. Wow. That's really cool. (laughs) But you know, it's like, if you can hear my voice, if you can hear my heart, like if you, if we could only do that with one another, then I feel like there would be so much pain that could be saved right now. Like hundred percent. Because I think that the majority of humans are genuinely good and we're trying to fight for the same cause. It's just we're going about it in different ways. Right. We're going about it in different ways and that doesn't make it wrong. And that was the thing that was most upsetting to me over the past week is people getting on each other based on what they saw or what they didn't see. You can't tell me how to process I love that. Yeah. Um, when I was, when I was listening to your, your live with, um, Chelsea. Yeah. Uh-huh. And how you were talking about how, like, you need to be careful of how much you're intaking. Like you genuinely need to be careful of how much 
you're processing and intaking at this time because it can negatively affect you. And I could not agree with that more. It can, negative, it can negatively affect you because what ends up happening is you start comparing yourself to Lucy and Sherry and all those people. And then, like you said, it becomes ingenuine. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? You got to yeah. ask yourself, why are you doing, why are you posting? What are you doing? Yeah. Why? Because everyone said you should today. Yeah. And then if you don't, you're like, oh, people are looking at me. You know, it's like, let them look. Because you know who you are. You know who you are. And, yeah. I, you know, that's what I've had to kind of tell people is like, you're going to upset because I've had quite a p- few people say, I don't know what to say. So I haven't posted in a week. And I says, you're going to get flack if you post. You're going to get flack if you don't. Yeah. got to do what you think is right in your heart. That's it. And what's so hard is when you do feel those things in your heart and then they get misinterpreted and you're like, crap, did my heart steer me in the wrong direction? Like, you know, but then it comes down to the fact that you know who you are Mm -hmm. and the people who really matter know who you are and they're still going to be there to love you at the end of the day. (laughs) They'll be there for you. Those people that matter, the rest, what can you say? Yeah. I love you, Ruthie. Oh, I love you, girl. <laughs> oh, I'm serious. I, I'm so, you don't know me from Adam. And oh. you texted me right back when I said I wanted to talk to you. And oh. I didn't reach out to heart, like this many people, like three people, because um, I wanted to be selective in the conversations that I had. And I wanted them to be conversations that, um, revolved around hope and joy and things that are good. Because I know that when I have been in my darkest of places, like it is so, um, important to see that light. And so in this time I wanted to, um, to shine that light like, Absolutely. and that's who you are. Mm. And And regardless of how your platform is growing right now, um, I think it's growing for a purpose. And I think that you're going to continue changing the lives of others. Um, Thank you so much. That's what I want is people to walk away from me feeling better about life, about themselves, all the things. All of the things. Mm -hmm. You definitely make my daughter feel better. Aww. Anytime she sees one of your posts, oh my gosh, anytime she sees one of your posts, she goes, oh mom, that is so pretty. Look at that beautiful, look at those beautiful earrings. Oh mom. And then she'll always be like, why don't you dress like that? Like, oh man, I'm not fancy. Like, poor girl. Like I like jeans and a t-shirt every day of her life. She's so good. I found you guys from Amber Filler Up. Oh, yes. Yep. That's how I was like, oh, yep. Mm-hmm, we need this for our uh, vacation. How sweet is she? She's so sweet. Is there anything that you want to, um, is there anything you want to say? I just want to say that I really believe that this situation that happened over the past 12 days, couple weeks, week and a half, whatever was very different from any other situation with Black Lives Matter or, you know, police brutality. This is the first time where I feel like we've actually made 
steps together forward. And I really do think that things are going to change, that our kids will be matching for something different. I love that. Mm-hmm. The whole, um, the whole reason why I wanted to talk to you was because I think journaling is so important. And, uh, cause I look back on my journals from when I was in elementary school, middle school, high school, and I feel like I'm relearning lessons from mini Lex. Right. You know? And so I wanted to talk to you and capture this moment in time in your feelings in this time, because in a form, this is a journal. Right. It is. This is being documented in this time. And I want the future people to hear Ruthie's message. Like, oh my gosh, you're so sweet. But I'm, but I'm not trying to be. I just, I feel like you have a message and it needs to be shared. And I think that you have a unique perspective on everything that's going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and this needs to be in journals and this needs to be in American history textbooks one day. And yeah, I wholeheartedly believe that what you said, that our children will be marching for something different. I, I believe that too, because I think that you're raising your children a certain way. I'm raising my children a certain way. Um, and that is based off of the principle of love and that we are all God's children. Absolutely. We are all God's children. And, you know, there's nothing like putting your faith into action and really holding on to hope. I think we put a lot of our faith into action this week with the marches and all that good stuff and our words. Yeah. And now we just have to hold on to hope that what we've done and what we've begun to do will create a change and that this actually will be a ripple effect. Yeah. The hard questions that we, it was uncomfortable. It was awkward. It was shaking. It was like, where are we? I mean, really after COVID-19, we have to do the race wars now. And God was like, yep, let's do it. Let's just get the hard stuff out of the way. It's actually, I'm going to make something beautiful out of this. Put it on my tab. Yep. Just, let's just do it. Let's get it over with. Um, Have you seen that meme of the aliens? No. (laughs) There's a meme of the aliens and it goes, we're up next. And then one of them goes, ooh, I'm so nervous. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh, it wouldn't surprise me. Oh my goodness. Just put it on my tab. Um, You have a life and you have children and a husband that's probably coming home from work soon. So I want to let you go. Thank you for being you. Oh, thanks for having me. Music in this podcast is brought to you by the talented musician and even better friend, John the Ghost. Thank you, John, for not only being my daughter's biggest crush, but for also allowing me to use your catchy little whistle for my introduction. Like I said in the beginning, life is a series of events being put on our tab one at a time. Now is your time to go and live the beautiful playlist that is your life. Subscribe if you feel so inclined and join me on this journey. I'm Lex, and this is Put It On My Tab.